0: And he can't wait, so thank you and thank Nero for your service, I appreciate it. Absolutely, if if I could, could I throw a PSA out real quick? Real quick. Uh, just the, the remarkable nature of these dogs and, and them being highlighted in the news creates a, a huge demand by people that, that frankly shouldn't have them. If, uh, if you see the, the coverage and you decide I want one of these dogs, either buy a finished, trained, uh, you know, fully trained and, and finished dog from a professional uh, or just, just don't get one at all. Um, that and Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> okay, thank you for that commentary. All right, Mike. Maybe more Oops. on that later. Oh shit! Hey. What the hell is that?! What would you say you do here? It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Because I'm kind of an idiot. I'm a dumb guy. Brian, you don't have to keep trying so hard to impress me. I already really like you. Your midweek download destination. I told you about Brian. I told you. Come on, man. Brian was just making a joke. I'm so lucky to have met you, Brian. You're such an amazing guy. It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Note to self, don't change Note to self, don't die. Welcome in, everybody. It is the Stone on Air podcast delivered in weekly installments called the Weekly Dose. Today is November 6th, 2019. And I have been covered up all day long, nonstop, and normally I'd be like, I'm not interested in doing a show today. Now nah, today I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty down for this one. It's gonna be fun. Yourself, yourself, and when I say fun, I mean, I don't know. I... It's gonna be easy because it's just commentary. It's just thoughts I always have. I don't have to do a lot of prep work haven't had a lot of time to do a lot of prep work. What Riverbend announced earlier this week is very, very exciting. Um, It is something that many of us have been talking about out loud into microphones on social media platforms, on message boards before social media was such a uh, thing, such a prevalent thing for years and years and years. And the fact that they're finally listening. is really really nice. You know, I, I I could be that you know jerk that just says, oh yeah, knife about time, dollar short and a day late or whatever. You know, too little, too late. I'm not that guy at all. I'm immediately immediately excited about this uh, situation uh, that is coming out of uh, the uh, friends of the festival brass and the Riverbend uh, overall new power structure, which I will get into in the second segment. Of the show. This is just going to be a two segment show, the open and then the final second segment that's going to be talking all Riverbend. So the front end is going to be a little bit of rambling. Here's what I'm going to do first of all, I'd like to think, because there has been a little bit of buzz on social media, I would like to think that there are new listeners this week. If there's a single new listener, I am excited about that. I'd like to think there's more than one, but either way, uh, a little just uh, uh, who who is who am I? what is this? what do I do? My name is Brian Stone. I've been in uh, commercial radio in this city for 17 years since 2002 on a part-time full-time basis if that makes any sense. meaning I've worked in it virtually every day for 17 years in a part-time capacity, which has given me a little bit different of a perspective, a different approach and a different delivery then many people have who have used this as their lifeblood as their only as their only gig right their only their only job i have always had more than one job this has always been supplementary supplementary excuse me income for me now this podcast is not you know not putting any money in my pocket the goal is one day that it will but the radio gigs always have So I've always been able to, and I'm not saying I'm this, you know, edgy, shocking guy, but I've always been able to approach things a little differently depending on what the subject matter is, because if I lost my gig, which I've lost them many times and usually quickly found another one, it didn't destroy me, right? It didn't ruin my life. I didn't have to look for jobs in Oregon. I didn't, I didn't have to, uh, you know, contact Dothan, Alabama to see if the classic rock station was hiring. I didn't have to do any of those things. I could wait it out and just stick around in the city that I love and continue to uh, to stay where I've always wanted to be. And so that has allowed me the opportunity, especially with this podcast, definitely, and even very much so once upon a time at the once great radio station that was Talk Radio 102.3. That's Bill Lockhart's exact words. This once great radio station. So, I've been afforded the opportunity to kind of just, you know, get out there what I'm thinking here and there. And sometimes that upsets people. Many times that's happened. And sometimes people admire it. You know, whatever. It's just, it's kind of my pastime. It's my gig. It's my thing. I guess at the end of the day, the fact that anybody listens to anything I do still to this day surprises me. But, so, there's just a quick rundown uh, before I get to all the Riverbend stuff here in a minute. I just want to ramble here in the first segment. Uh, But today's been a long, long day. It is 1123 right now as I speak into this microphone on the 5th of November. That would be Tuesday before this podcast is normally available for download, which is every uh, Wednesday first thing. I've got my uh, gin and tonic in hand. I just got done scarfing down uh, some leftovers from last night, some shrimp scampi pasta that my uh, girlfriend made me that was quite good. And I'm doing fill-in work at the day job, which I will uh, leave nameless, but it is, take uh, what I do every day 17 times a day before I'm officially done, and what I have to do for the rest of the week is 75 times a day for two-thirds of the state of Tennessee, which means for a minimum of nine hours, closer to 10 hours of work there. Did three hours of radio work before that, and then it'll be about two hours for this podcast. So... A 15, 16-hour day. Normally, I'm grumpy. Normally, I'm tired. I am tired, and I'm actually technically grumpy. But normally, I make it very uh, clear. I am happy to do this podcast because I can't wait to talk about uh, the way Riverbend is headed and the ideas and the visions that they're um, going to attempt. It might not work. It might be a mess. I'm just going to be honest with you. It might be a disaster if they don't know what they're doing. But it's bold. It's challenging. It's real. It's authentic, and uh, I am excited about it. So, there's where I'm at right now Uh, on the front end. There, that was just something I found on Twitter where somebody uh, recorded somebody on uh, TV on Fox News. It was a like a a veterans with their dogs, rescue dogs or something, and then it was you know this just like thank you so much for your service. Thank you so much. Very cordial, very cordial. Then oh, and Epstein didn't kill himself. It is pretty remarkable where we're at in the world of uh, attention spans, that that story gets only gets jokes, right? It mainly gets jokes. It doesn't even really get real attention because nobody cares because it doesn't involve them. And that's where we're at with uh, the social media, mediafication, if that's a word, which it's not, but of look at me, look at me. Um, nobody cares about that story. They should, but they don't. Uh, Again, for the new listener, this show doesn't focus on politics unless it's immediately uh, important or at least somewhat topical to something else, right? Like kind of comparing it, comparing, contrasting it with something else that's local. This is not a Chattanooga-only podcast, but it is... Centric to that. And I think that's important to uh, the branding and the continuation of where this show is going to go into the future. But every now and again, if there's something that's funny or out there, I'm certainly going to put it out there. And anything on the front end that you hear right before the intro, before the official intro of the show, is just something I found that I thought was interesting. It doesn't necessarily even, sometimes I won't even acknowledge that it's there. It just depends on what it is. So, a couple things real quick. I want to talk about the misconception of this time change nonsense. You know, daylight Savings Time is here now, and we're back to almost winter, and this is my least favorite time of the year. When you hear from me on the radio, in person at nightfall, at the bar having a beer, on the podcast, when you hear from me during spring into summer, I'm a, I'm a much better person to talk to and be around. I'm a much more uh, pleasant person to be around. When you hear from me in any of those settings from the fall into the winter, Even when the fall has those great temperatures, right, we're just getting done with all this disgustingly awful summer, and, oh, it's finally nice out. No, no, no. To me, that's PTSD. PTSD. I am terrified of the winter. And when I get even, like, that little bit, you know, you're shaking in bed and you're, you're covered up and you get those little flashbacks, like, oh, my God, it freaks me out. I hate it. Hate it. Anyway, so the time change, falling back, quote, unquote, the good one, as some people call it annoys me. And then just a little small talk here. That is just kind of a recurring thing I do over the years. So regulars who are here, which I don't know how many there are uh, out there, but you know, I love you. You've already heard this before. I'll start with small talk. So I'm around um, kids a lot more than I used to be. And um, there's a lot of reasons for that. A lot of uh, cousins and nieces and uh, uh, girlfriends, kids and their family members, kids and all that. And I'm, I'm realizing that um, the small talk epidemic of adults that's been going on for, I don't know, however long modernized America has been something we've been kind of paying attention to within the um, pop culture of the world, within the societal norms, cultural norms. Uh, the small talk is getting worse and worse, and it's starting from such a young age. I'm more paying attention now to when I hear from little kids, and and when I say little kids, I mean like eight to like I mean I don't know how far it goes but at least 8 to 12 8 to 13 maybe and it's just I'm so regularly like hey uh open up the fridge or something or or look on the counter is that a is that a box of captain crunch while they stare at a box of captain crunch I mean I, I'm that that's such an absurd made up example but it's still so close to true it's like what are we doing what do you do what you know, and that and kids just talk to talk right I mean that's what they do that's fine, but this is where this small talk stuff is starting. blatantly obvious questions like uh hey did you uh did you get a haircut you know with your hair like buzzed off after it was long yeah, yeah yeah of course I did know, I mean, again, I'm not trying to hate on kids, but I want to give myself some credit. I want to give myself some credit, because this is a story I might have told once upon a time in my uh, in my podcasting, talk radio, uh, uh, spoken word format life. It was probably 92 to 94, somewhere in that, so I'm 12 to 14 years old, and I'm going to a lookout's game with my dad, and he had an office over off Shelford Road. He's a podiatrist, was a podiatrist, he's retired now, and uh, we stopped by the office usually because that was kind of like his, you know, home away from home, and it's kind of in a way. And uh, I hear him in the in the bathroom with water running and like some tapping. And I'm thinking, hey, we're gonna be late, man. I went and got autographs all the time, shagged uh, foul balls, you know, over at Old Ingle Stadium. I just I loved it; it was my favorite uh, thing to do every night. Uh, he had season tickets. We went not every night, but damn close to it. And he, always, he had the the Randy Marsh uh, mustache from South Park, if you know what I'm talking about. Black hair, that kind of thing. And uh, he shaved his mustache out of nowhere. And uh, he walked out. And I remember thinking, hmm, yeah, he looks different. All right, well, anyway, yo, are you ready? We're late. Let's go. I'm not saying that out loud. I'm thinking it inside. We get in the car. We start driving down to Ingalls Stadium from Shalford Road. And he says, uh, at some point, hey, you didn't say anything about me shaving my mustache. And I, I'm i paraphrasing all this, but I was like, uh, why would I do that? You, you know you did it, and why would I make a comment about that? Something like that. I'm dead serious. I'm not trying to give myself credit you know, retroactively or uh, using uh, revisionist history. I was like, why would I bring that up? Let's go. We're late. Come on. I want a Coke. I want some popcorn and a Sharpie and some autographs. Forget your stupid mustache. I bet was what I was thinking in the back of my head. So I've been fighting the good fight against small talk my entire life. And the most recent one is I have a copier at work at the day job, and I got a new one, right? I went through corporate office and got a new one sent down. I plugged it up, and it was down for a day. And then the next day, we were able to get all the network stuff together. And I I have 17 guys I deal with every day. I had... At least two-thirds of them. Oh, hey, a new copier, huh? Hey, so what was wrong with the old one? Oh, well, you know, I mean, we took it apart, and the Gentra uh, magnitude lever wasn't connected right with the laser. What the hell? Do, how do I know what's wrong with it? <laughs> what, what was wrong with the old one? It doesn't work anymore, dude. Just scan your bleep and get out of here. I mean, come on, give me a break. Stop it. And I got that all day. Oh, hey, that's a new copier. What was wrong with the old one? Just stop it. Just stop. We don't want to have this conversation. Just we, we, silence can be the most, the most absolutely, a uh, uh, kind and and pleasant and non rude and courteous thing you could do for your fellow man. So, how was your weekend? Is not being friendly. That is being annoying AF, as the kids say. So a quick look at the, uh, or thoughts anyway, on the misconception of the time change from either one, from uh, daylight savings time beginning to daylight savings time ending. We have created this misconception about what this is. Once upon a time, I've done segments on it where I did the history of it and found audio and all this and, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Once upon a time, I guess it had something to do with farms or how people got work done in the morning. None of that stuff matters anymore. The rotation of the earth is what dictates what time the sun goes down and the sun comes up. We don't need to get involved in this. Human beings, the people uh, here, uh, especially here in the United States of America, who think that we can dictate and control everything, do not need to get involved with what time the sun does or does not set or rise, right? That's just not something we need to bring legalities into. Leave it to this country to bring a legality into everything. You want to get married? We got to get legal about it. You want to have the sunset or sunrise? We got to put a legality on that. We've got to regulate that. Stop. Just stop. All right, just stop. I, I I've so many times working with uh styles over at uh, GOW or wherever in any conversation and setting over at the bar at Tremont Tavern wherever it might be. Oh, hey, well, at least this is a good one. We get an extra hour of sleep. We get the fall the clocks fall back. We get an extra hour of sleep. Man, bro, this isn't about an extra hour of sleep. This is about throwing Already exhausted, hardworking people from the top to the bottom, from the rich to the middle to the poor, throwing their day off, their week off, just throwing one more anxiety-filled situation in there. Whether it is because you like the, the clocks falling back or you don't like the f- clocks springing forward, it's just it's just one more needless activity that we do in this country. Or the, I don't know how the rest of the world handles their time zones. I don't care about them. That's their problem or their issue. I'm not thinking or spending any time researching that right now. This is madness. This is dumb. This doesn't need to happen anymore. And we, this, all this learned behavior of, oh, well, this is the good one. At the end of the year, when we fall back, quote, unquote, that's the good one because we get an extra hour of sleep. Wait, wait, what? You get an extra hour of sleep? I got an idea. If you need an extra hour of sleep go back to sleep for an hour. Listen, your problem is not whether you have an hour of sleep. Your problem is so many other things and this just doesn't need to be one of them. I, I don't care if you go to standard to stay at standard time or go to the uh, the savings time, whichever one. I don't care. Let the earth decide how this goes because it feels like when these time shifts happen in March and in November, that we're losing like three hours. Because I'll even get the uh, the guy or gal who says, well, you know, it's really it's only one hour. It's not that big a deal. Well, you're right. It is only one hour. But it's actually more subconsciously two or three hours. Because we're used to summertime. Sun goes down here in the eastern time zone around 8, 8.30, 9 at the summer solstice in June. Around June 21st, I think is the exact date. Then you're you're light until almost nine, but then once you get into September uh, and 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 early October, well the sun's going down around 7.15, 7.30 or so. But in your head you're thinking, well yeah, but when it's not the time change, it's eight thirty or so, because you're slowly being adapted into the way the Earth revolves around the sun or sun around the, however whatever the rotation, right? And then all of a sudden you get hit with an hour. And you're thinking, oh, my God, this has changed everything. No, it really has only changed an hour. If we didn't ever do that, we'd never have a shock to the system, and we would have one less stress level in our lives. Can we just leave something alone and stop doing something for an archaic, dumbass reason while we all complain about things that don't matter every day on social media and all the cable news channels and everything else? Stop this madness. Coming up next, can Chattanooga be proud of the Riverbend Festival again as it once was many years ago? From the guy who has been trashing this festival for several years now, I'll tell you how I think it actually is possible. That's coming up on the Stone On Air podcast, the weekly dose for November 6, 2019. Hang tight. I will be right back. Now back to more Stone On Air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Stone On Air. Riverbend organizers are planning more changes for next year's festival. The iconic floating barge that held the Coca-Cola stage will not be part of the setup this year. Mickey McCamish with Friends of the Festival says these changes needed to happen in order to save Riverbend. The new Coke stage will be under the old Johnny Bridge in 2020. The Bud Light Chevy and Tennessee Valley Credit Union stages will change locations as well. Another change, the price of admission will go down. Last year's 50% hike in price was part of the reason attendance was low. And organizers plan to bring back group discounts so families can save. The Camus hopes these changes will make Chattanoogans proud of the festival once again. Right now, the barge is docked at the Hales Bar Dam in Marina in Marion County, and the future for the iconic barge is still unknown. This is Brandy Carlisle, live in the studios of KEXP in, I think it's Seattle, right? It's uh, Northwest Pacific up there somewhere. I'm pretty sure it's Seattle. Incredible radio station. Well, Doing Bob Dylan's stand. "The Times we Are a-Changing." She was at Moon River Festival this year. So come on and get the new one. How great would if it have her at Riverbend end. 2020? So been 19 or 18 or 17 or 16 or 15 could have booked Brandy Carlisle and potentially would have booked Brandy Carlisle because there are talent buyers on that team that do know what they're doing and do uh, a good job of, uh, of sniffing out the next big thing. Or something they can find value on the dollar of. They've been, Riverbend's been doing that good for a long time. And so I, I get kind of labeled as, you know, hating on Riverbend because I just I just think it's fun and I'm just a troublemaker and I love to just piss people off. That, that's the furthest thing from the truth you're ever going to run into. I don't enjoy pissing people off. I enjoy exposing assholes for what they are. Uh, I, I do enjoy that. I do enjoy people who say they're doing one thing and do something else and letting other people know about it. Uh, I do enjoy that, but I don't like just hating on something just for the for the sake of it. I was for a long time a huge uh, supporter of Riverbend, partially because I was working at the talk station in the early to mid-2000s and towards the tail end of the 2000s, and we were very involved with the promotion of, of the festival. So yeah, I was a yes man, go along to get along kind of guy for a while. But the reason I did it and didn't feel like I was being um, fake or less than honest, or let's just say fraud all the way around is because Riverbend has always had every year good music. They have. I have never gone on a rant, on a radio show, on a podcast around a couple of beers at a bar, around gin and tonics or shots on a birthday party or whatever it might be. I have never spent any amount of time complaining and being overly critical about the music that has been booked at Riverbend because almost every year, I'd say virtually every single year, there's a handful, half dozen minimum of acts that are really good. And people who would be like, oh, you hate on Riverbend, but you go. Well, yeah, because they booked a band I like. So I'm going to go see the band. I've hell I've never had to pay even when I didn't have credentials because the weird, stupid token and uh, and and uh, not what the hell am I trying to say? The uh, the pins, damn Riverbend pins, and all this weird way they marketed this thing. Well, I never had to pay. Of course, I'm going to go see a band that I like. So yeah, I mean, I'm not a hypocrite for going to see music I enjoy. It was the user experience at Riverbend that was so tired. After all these years, and I, I remember somebody talking about, it was, I think it was Jason Walker from uh, Hits96, been in media in this town for a long time, when a bunch of arguments and and social media fires were starting, if it wasn't last year, I bet it was last year because of the change, uh, the, the well, the quote-unquote changes they made, he was like, I don't know what any of y'all are talking about. The Coke Stage has been and I'm totally paraphrasing. The Coke Stage has been iconic and a uh, you know something people have celebrated for decades. This is like a new phenomenon like and at this time cancel culture wasn't a uh, wasn't a terminology yet. But what he didn't understand is is he's you know 50 something odd going on 60 years old and doesn't go to music festivals anymore. Love you Jason Walker, friend of mine. I'm not trying to be a hater. It's that the festival community, the festival uh, overall standard has changed in the last 20 years, and Riverbend, just couldn't quite understand that because they were still bringing in a bunch of money. Chip Baker, one of my least favorite people in this city, was still bringing in six figures uh, while he, you know, in this nonprofit, quote unquote. And then he's on the school board and he's in local politics. He's in his, got all his cronies involved and in making all his buddies money, a lot like Tim Boyd. You know, I'm not, I'm not a fan of any of this stuff. And then when I start looking around, and all I see is a county fair and all I see is a carnival. It is absolutely annoying. So I start to be more vocal about that, especially around 2016. I was working at talk radio at that time. And uh, at the same week that I got fired for a long thing you can go back and find in the archives if you want to know, I did a a rant about how I was tired of the Coke stage. I can't take this damn Coke stage anymore. This stage sucks, and this festival has lost its grip. It's not any good anymore. I can't do it anymore. I can't pretend that I'm okay with this. Because once upon a time, Riverbend was important to me. Before there was River, uh, uh, excuse me, Bonnaroo, before there was Roo every year, from 97, 98, 99, 2000, 2001, I took off whatever my fast food job was, whatever my crappy, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old job was, I took off the whole week so I could go to Riverbend every week, every year, excuse me. I was down. I was into this. But then the festival landscape changed. And Riverbend didn't even, they didn't, let, let alone acknowledge there's a change. They just refused and just pretended like there wasn't. And so in that June of 16, when I just went nuts and just said, I'm done with this place, and they got fired a week later, people were like, oh my God, did you get fired because you are trashing on Riverbend? Again, a longer story for another podcast or a past podcast that has already been happened. No, that's not what happened. That's not at all the situation. But I had finally decided that I am done taking up for what uh, what this festival's mission statement was because it wasn't working for me anymore. Well, that looks like that has completely changed, and I am so excited about it. I am so excited about it. I, uh, I'm i not even trying to be sarcastic. This is fantastic what they have decided to do. I'm going to read a little bit of the uh, press release real quick, and then I'm going to play a couple clips from Mickey McCamish, who is now the executive director of the Friends of the Festival, which runs... Uh, Riverbend. This is uh, from the release on Monday. The iconic Coca-Cola barge will retire to make way for a more favorable experience for fans and artists in 2020. The Coke stage will transform into a 60-foot superstructure that will settle west under the excuse me west under the old Jotty Bridge. The bridge will serve as not only a structured shade tree but a bonus for acoustics. The artists will play to a crowd that will be facing west, just as the Bud Light crowd. Has formed in the past, but the Coke stage fans will enjoy a ramp that will give artists a chance to engage with the crowd. Now, honestly, just to be right out, you know, blunt about it, I don't know what the hell any of that means. A ramp that comes down a superstructure under Old Jetty, I don't know what that means. All I know is that that dumb barge, that dumb huge Coke stage barge is finally gone. The worst stage in America. Goes on to say the move will shift the Bud Light stage closer to the main entrance on Chestnut Street, and will face the area known as "quote unquote" the Green that rests between Chestnut Power Alley and Riverfront Parkway, which me talking here is right in front of the Blue Plate, the uh, the Stone Creamery, whatever the uh, ice cream joint is, and uh, those uh, condos or apartments or whatever they uh, whatever they are. Excuse me. The Coke and Bud Light stages will face each other like dueling stages but will alternate show times. and will not compete with one another. So basically, you're going to have the the new Coke stage all the way on the other end underneath the old Jotty Bridge, and that's going to be facing that entire parking lot that is right at the foot of uh, AT&T Field. So where you'd normally probably park to go to see the uh, Lookouts, that whole lot, which most of that lot recently has been filled with well, the Bud Light stage was kind of over there and then filled with all the, you know, the armies there trying to recruit you and uh, corn dogs and chicken on a stick and funnel cakes and all that. Hopefully a lot of that will clear out and that will all be a walkway that goes all the way down to the green. And instead of that stage being up in the corner, that's the back of the Bud Light stage or whatever the secondary stage will be sponsored by next year because that is up for uh, bid, by the way. The back of that stage will be facing Chestnut Street. So the sides will be towards the river and towards the blue plate, if that makes any sense. So you can find the little, little mini-map that's been put together. It's a very good-looking setup and alternating stages, so you can go back and forth from each one pretty quickly. Put the Chevy stage down at the bottom, uh, like where Riverfront Nights would be, and then the Tennessee Valley Credit Union stage, which I thought might have been under the uh, Walnut Street Bridge. Might, that might not be a thing anymore. I'm not entirely sure. I'll worry about all those specifics later. Uh, it's just not that important to me at this time. But overall, the first main stage and the second stage, the way they're set up, I I love it. I think that is such a great idea. I am a huge fan of that. I am going to give you some anecdotal uh, story here that I've mentioned a little bit on the podcast here recently. That I feel like I have a little more freedom to mention now here towards the end as we get out of here. This will be a shorter show than most weeks. But I do want to play some um, audio from the new executive director of the Friends of the Festival, Mickey McCamish. He's a longtime Chattanooga guy. He's got my respect. He, he, I don't know if you remember who I am or not, but I've been around him many many times at the old uh, talk station and had uh, little you know many passing conversations with him over the years he is a respectable uh, a man as sweet as he could be man I do hope they go younger eventually with the structure of the power uh, overall the brass the suits all that kind of thing but for right now I'm very very uh, good with it but all this audio comes from WRCB. So uh, thank you to our local NBC affiliate. This is, let me get my notes here. Uh, Mickey uh, talking about, we, uh, we, if we're gonna make a change, you have to actually be able to visually see that change. It's important when you say the word change, that you visually see that. And uh, with the uh, barge not being in place, then that will show that we are serious about making a change. Because the industry is changing. And doggone it, if you don't keep your product fresh, then you get left behind. Yeah, and well, the ind- industry hasn't uh, just been changing recently. The industry has been changing for 20 years. But long before that shift in the way the contemporary music festivals really became a bubble and then kind of burst, but overall changed the way the landscape most of them were, the Coke stage, and I'll admit it, I'm my hand's in the air. I agree. Once Upon a Time was iconic. It just doesn't matter to anybody anymore. But it used to. It was very iconic to Riverbend. It served us well. It served us very well for 38 years. And to be a veteran of 38 years and part of this downtown Chattanooga area, that's just remarkable. It just, because of the the carnival uh, county fair nature of the way the fest turned into and how cheap it was, how inexpensive it was, Meaning from uh, an, an admission standpoint. And, yeah, the stage, it looked good. I talked about this on the radio uh, today or yesterday or whatever day this week it was. It's a picturesque look. Like an aerial photo of all the boats out in uh, at the Tennessee River near the Market Street Bridge and all the the lights lit up all through uh, the Coke Stage area and uh, Riverfront Drive and all that, if you get the right person that takes the right picture, boy, it's pretty. It is a damn good look. I mean, I bet there's plenty of people up on uh, Signal and Lookout and up on Missionary Ridge. They got some nice prints of aerial footage of Riverbend and the quote-unquote really pretty, gorgeous, wonderful Coke Stage. Again, picturesque, Yes but logical and reasonable for a headlining uh, 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 platform for the artists themselves and, more importantly, the patrons of your festival, no. No, it was done. It ran its course a decade ago. It was, as I mentioned, it was 16 when I started to be a vocal about it. It was 10 years ago that that stage wore out its welcome, and it is finally Gone And the final uh, cut here from Mickey McCamish, the current now executive director of Friends of the Festival over Riverbend, says this is a local fest, which I agree. I know you don't need to go too far outside the area to try to convince people to come here if you do it right. If you give locals an incredible user experience, we just want something that we can be proud of. Riverbend is primarily a local festival, and we've got to make it so that people here are proud, that they talk about Riverbend, and that we make it affordable for them. And so far, so good on these initial announcements of the uh, the grounds re uh, reconfiguration, the logistical changes, and the overall different mindset and mission statement with a different power structure. I'm excited. I'm as big a supporter as you're going to find. I mean, if they give me a reason, if something just turns into a mess and it's not a good setup, I'm not going to tell you that it is if I don't think so. Um, but I feel pretty good about it. I really do. And I'm excited to see what 2020 is going to bring us as far as festival season goes because this is my favorite season of the year. April, May, June, July. It's, uh, it's, it's where I thrive. And um, real quick on the way out here, I'll make this a little cryptic, but fast. I got a message from a longtime acquaintance, closer to friend, but close, you know, in between acquaintance and friend, who sent me uh, this uh, email maybe a month ago saying, I appreciate what you have said and your your opinions on how Riverbend should or shouldn't be more than you'll ever know. And I'm just telling you that the changes that are coming, I think that you're going to like, and I'll just leave it at that. Totally paraphrased. And I really, really, really appreciated that because I have never once talked anything negative about anybody within that organization and that company and that nonprofit 401k C3 XTC, whatever the hell it is. I have never uh, uh, singled anybody out except for Chip Baker. He's recently stepped down. He's out of the picture. If we can get him off the Hamilton County Commission, we'll be doing even better. But so I have never said a bad word about anybody there. Now, the good news is, is virtually everything I've ever said out loud is all documented via podcast form. So feel free to go back and listen to the, I don't know, thousands of hours of audio that lives online proving what I'm saying that I have not said anything poor about anybody else in that organization, even though one of those people within the Friends of the Festival acted completely inappropriately and should be embarrassed by their actions, I will just leave it at that because there's a very high likelihood that that person is listening and you know exactly who you are. I am as big a fan of the new vision of Riverbend. I am as supporter as it gets. Listen, don't hear things. Oh, here's what I heard. No, I want to know what you know. Don't care what you heard. I want to know what you know. All right, that is all I got. Thank you so much for being here this week. Uh, Let's see, what is next week? We are going to be Thanksgiving before you damn know it. Are these holidays here already? Of course they are. So we'll talk again on the 13th of November. I am, um, what what was that, math? 15, 16 hours into day job, radio, and podcast. I'm done. I'm tired. I'm out. Y'all have a great one. We'll do it again soon. See you Bye. for the times